this eyeliner is so it's so amazing much. that means the world <laughs> that means My, everything to the you. eyeliner is expensive so it should work <gasps> <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Juice. My name is Betty and today I'm talking to my friend Harry. Hello everyone, my name is Harry. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to be talking about gender expression. Harry is, you were one of the first friends I made at university who wasn't at my college, mm -hmm. which was really nice. We were in our um history yeah we were the only two people who talked in this one seminar <laughs> and um yeah bonded very quickly through that because it was very very difficult to deal with the silence <laughs> it was honestly but first of all just um to kick things off yeah please could you tell everyone your gender pronouns and how yeah. you identify amazing right so i'm uh so my name is harry sorry that's again uh <laughs> i identify as a trans feminine person a person of trans feminine experience i used she her and they them pronouns um she has only come in pretty recently but you know we're just experimenting and that's basically what this is about anyway just having a talk about um gender identities gender expression and the fluidity or stoicism or whatever that can come with both of those things yeah so yeah Cool. That's me. <laughs> so trans feminine, is yes. that what you said? What does that mean for our listeners? Okay, so for me, what that means is that the gender identity that I was assigned at birth was male. I used he, him pronouns for the first, I guess, 18 years of my life. Uh -huh. um, and trans feminine to me just explains a lot of, I guess, a lot of what I was feeling growing up that I didn't have the language or expression to have so it's, it's yeah. a term that I've only come into very recently mm -hmm. um I've been identifying as non-binary for like a year and a half now yeah um and it, these aren't these are just languages and labels uh, uh, just words and labels that I'm using mm -hmm. to that I find comfortable in the time mm -hmm. uh, which I think is another important thing yeah uh that I would like to address because it's more or less these feelings are just something that I've not had the language to express for the longest time. So trans feminine to me, sorry, just to answer your question, I've been <laughs> monologuing. <laughs> no, I um, like it. No, but trans feminine to me just means that I identify really as female, but I know my experience is feminine. Yeah. So it's not, right now, it's not female. Mm -hmm. I haven't been able to access hormones as of yet or, or pursue a medical transition. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, right for some trans people, I am attempting to pursue it at some point. But uh -huh. um, yeah, it's just sort of a term for me that I'm using right now that sort of, I think, almost allows people... It's a very good term because mm -hmm. it bridges what what cis people might not understand. So looking at me, I get misgendered every day at the moment. I've been trying to socially transition, but it's obviously everyone's own battle. Yeah. Um, I'm wearing what clothes feel comfortable to me right now and um but it's more or less just safety is my number one priority yeah but when you say the word feminine mm -hmm. like that's people have thought I was feminine my entire life nothing's changed when I say that I'm feminine yeah putting the trans on it just means that I'm coming to terms with the fact that that's like that femininity that everyone has always persecuted me for or said was wrong because of the gender identity I was assigned at birth yeah it's actually part of me is me and it's something that I want to um, embrace and get more confident with. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's solely, f really, at the end of the day, transness is solely form, like, is my experience. It's, uh, I want to like stress this so much. My experience with gender identity 
is my own yes. and um is it's 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 its own journey mm-hmm. uh so you know i don't know what i'm gonna look like in five years i don't know yeah, what betty's no. gonna look like in five years <laughs> but you know we're all on our own journeys of self-discovery and yeah. right now this is where i'm at and i think that trans feminine for me right now is the most uh is not only actually quite helpful not that it's our responsibility yeah, yeah to yeah. educate people but as a term i think it leans into some great conversations yeah uh if you break apart the etymology of just trans uh-huh, and feminine uh-huh. you can really come to some conversations about gender identity that you have been pretty you know steadfast and the set um quite monotone for yeah. years and years and years i mean what i find fascinating about um gender expression is i mean i'm a cis white female mm-hmm. i identify um as such and i use she her pronouns and i've never really had much um I've, I've never really questioned that. I've not be, felt uncomfortable in that way uh, with my gender. and But that doesn't mean... I mean, femininity... Femin, yeah, start again. Feminim... <laughs> I can't say it. Femininity. Femininity. <laughs> <laughs> femininity. Oh, I can't say it. But We've yes. It's such a strange term and as is masculinity. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things I definitely wanted to ask you about mm-hmm. is what those terms mean to you because obviously if you identify as trans feminine you're saying that as you grew up you were really feminine and how did how did that show itself um so i think i've been engaging quite recently it's a lot of what i'm studying here my Mm -hmm. degree is history i've been looking a lot uh at um i'm currently studying a module on medical history and disability history and basically just social construct yeah (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) um betty's just my test subject (laughs) and i'm hers for the podcast and this is a wonderful friendship it's a mutual exchange (laughs) no so i'm currently doing this module and and we're look i'm looking at the way that femininity has been pathologized in the past and created into something that's you know that has institutionalized queer people for years under you know persecution pushed by religious ideals etc yeah um uh want to specify that obviously religious ideals do not have to conflict it's specifically religious conservative ideals about gender identity and sexuality but Mm -hmm. uh spirituality religion coexists with multiple in fact so i'm harry's very clever no i'm not not at all you can tell that i'm trying to not like i i am just so this is the thing i want to get across again obviously this is my own experience and you know you try to when you're when you're unfiltered talking about it um i've written about i've tried to write about it yeah uh, a number of times but it's it, you're just so worried that you 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 don't want to grow we, betty and i were talking as before we uh decided to record the podcast we were like what's this idea about like being representative to people at the end of the day we're just hoping our own experiences will help other people. But yeah. I'm going on such a... Sorry, let me answer your question. <laughs> no, um, you might have to it's edit fi- It's fine. No. no, I mean, I think with these kind of conversations, they're so sensitive yeah. and they're so subjective. They mm-hmm. depend on different people's opinions. That, yeah. Like you say, it is so important to make the point that this is your experience. It's yeah. not anyone else's experience. Mm-hmm. And also opinions change. They're reformed. Yeah. But um, no, I don't be frightened okay. to offend. <laughs> honestly it's this is a safe space yes, yes. <laughs> right so let me answer your question yes so growing up my references for masculinity and femininity are the ones that we have 
all of us stereotype in everyday life Uh and innately like I was that child that was you know going to the Barbies going to all the pink going to the Disney princess costumes Mm -hmm. and I have been engaging with a lot of scholarship that literally just says that you know these trans women and trans feminine people are just people who like that stuff and their masculinity prevails that there is some radical feminist turfism trans exclusionary radical feminists who um who believe that that alone just your social characteristics obviously don't constitute your identity yeah they're just things that um so that was i think part of the overcoming see that's that's fascinating that's fascinating for me to hear because obviously as a cis yeah uh, female and i am quite feminine so to speak like i'll wear i'm wearing a dress right Mm -hmm. now and i did i had the barbies and i was interested in all that stuff and i think this is obviously a conversation about um gender expression and one thing that is really important to recognize is that gender expression is forced on gender norms sorry are forced on everyone Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter how you identify and the these gender norms are damaging in every direction Mm -hmm. because if you're a young boy Mm -hmm. being told that just because you gravitate towards the barbies and gravitate towards pink that you're feminine in a negative way yeah that's damaging but equally it's damaging to the boy who doesn't gravitate towards that Mm -hmm. and then they're kind of heralded for being masculine because they want to go and play football and it just creates these structures where they're suffocating yeah because as a child, for me, I mean, I gravitated towards all the Barbies, but then at the same time, I would go camping. And mm-hmm. I mean, I wasn't sporty because I can't run. It's just, it's so suffocating. And I mm-hmm. wonder, when was the first time you realized that you felt suffocated by your the gender you were assigned at birth? Oh, we're getting into the trauma yeah. now. <laughs> no, I no, mean, but, obviously. Yeah, yeah, I feel what I can't, I, I'm totally comfortable to share. Uh, but the, I, I could tell when you feel suffocated, in doing those, in gravitating towards the girly activities, I yeah. all had all female friends at nursery, literally at every point. And my parents had, the, the, re, the ugh, when I felt suffocated was when my dad identified that that was wrong. Right. And that he tried to, you know, punishment would be to take those girly things away from mm-hmm. me and would be to tell me that I couldn't pursue certain types of friendships. Yeah. It wasn't, and, and I, you know, I've got a good relationship with my dad now. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, I think the suffocation starts when you are try to be put back into yes. your gender norm. Um, because as children, that like I did not know what this all meant when I was mm-hmm. literally four or five. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to do what made me happy, and yeah. the fact that that was <laughs> sorry, that was my laptop. I'll uh, turn the notifications off. Not very professional, but go on. <laughs> but no, I think that that is the point of suffocation is when your the gender that you were assigned at birth and the gender norms that surround that I try to be applied back onto you in the most rigid way yeah and for me that was my you know dad doing certain punishments and taking Mm -hmm. away my feminine expression and my medium feminine expression um and I didn't have any language to pursue and I felt like I often think back now and the reason I've come to my I mean I'm 21 I I don't think that's late to like I've got a whole life ahead of me I, I'm yeah. not coming to it late and these feelings are something that I've been you know what's the word dealing with for a very long time all throughout my adolescence really and yeah but like the language not being there I had no idea that these there were people who could pursue 
the trans experience uh, and when live you... life as yeah sorry Bessie. no no sorry to interrupt I was just so enthralled and <laughs> I was just so into it um, but yeah when did you gain that language when how did that come about I feel like this brings up a important idea about media representation because that is literally the only way I found out I could not bring myself to tell my mum that when my mum would ask me questions she, she asked me growing up she'd be like Harry would you prefer to be born a girl yeah. And I thought they were so reductive and I was just like, these questions, I was just like, and at that point I had, you know, told myself that I was like, no, what I have been rewarded for mm-hmm. has been whenever I've been my most masculine. Yeah. By my, by my father, by my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, why would I answer yes to that question? Why would I know, why would I research that that was an experience that I could pursue? Because for me at that point it had become so internalised that this was what was needed of me for approval from my parents yeah. and my... I'm really throwing them in the, the ground here, but I think this is just a point for all of us to say, if we had char- trans characters in the media in the 2000s and the 2010s, yeah. we'd have a lot of people who were able to access um, the correct uh, care and facilities a lot long, uh, a lot... Whatever they felt comfortable with, obviously. Yeah. Um, a lot... Earlier. earlier that's the word I'm looking for <laughs> I'm um, with you yeah. I've got it yeah <laughs> yeah no I mean one of the reasons why I wanted to engage in this conversation with you um not to sound not to trivialize it or to sound like a bit of a knob but is because like I was saying before I I don't I can't relate to you mm-hmm. because I feel quite comfortable in my own gender. Yeah. And I think, I don't know if um, you agree, but a lot of problems that seem to be arising is cis people not being able to understand and feel like feeling like they can't access the levels of empathy that are required to not suffocate people and to yeah. make people feel comfortable. And I, I think the point that I want to make is that as a cis female, it's interesting to me to um, to hear about it and to hear about the ways that femininity and yeah, smashed it, that mm. smashed the pronunciation that time. Mm. And, um, and we'll call it quits there, she's done it. <laughs> end of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, but the ways in which femininity and masculinity impact others because there's a lot of oppression when you're female and um there's a lot of ways you're told how to be who you're meant to be how to look how to dress how to sound what you meant to do in life who you're supposed to date and i think one thing that i've discussed a lot with my female friends is when we've met trans people and um people who were born men but um, have identified as feminine, Mm -hmm. there is part of the dialogue where the women I've spoken to, once again, we're not trying to generalise, feel as if um, it's people projecting gender stereotypes on them again. If you you see what I mean. No, I completely understand. And this is part of the argument that does develop into a trans-exclusionary feminism. Because... And... There's a lot, and I'll say as a trans person, there is a lot about what J.K. Rowling says that I genuinely sympathise with. I do find it, you know, um, I've I have found it incredibly hard to identify to to come to this language and to come to this identity 
uh, that are comfortable using these terms for my identity because I do not want to trivialise the women in my life's experience, the cis women in my life's experiences yeah. with their own femininity because they aren't the same. No. But I think what we do need to have a conversation, what all women, mm-hmm. trans and cis women, need to realise is that they have shared experiences yes. that come under the umbrella of feminism. And I think that is what bridges the gap because... You know, my sister, I, I'm an identical twin. Mm-hmm. My sister is also trans, which has been lovely for me as a support system. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, so um, my sister Astrid, she um, has start. she is socially transitioned. She's always one step ahead of me. I bloody <laughs> love her, but she is, She's stunning. Honestly, I've seen her Instagram. Yeah, my God. She really does. Um, she's really just my rock, my inspiration. Yeah. Um, and it really took her coming into her own for me to realise that I had repressed a lot about myself yeah. for that reward from, you know, society really about being masculine and yeah. uh, and fulfilling sort of this gender identity that I was assigned at birth. And I realised that that is all just built on self-hatred, but I digress. But the, <laughs> I think what's really important here and actually I think is the key to like finding unity between cis and trans people uh, or just it shared it, not, it is this, sympathies between cis and trans people is the establishing of shared experiences yeah so like all throughout my life my femininity has been we live in a patriarchal society yeah so all throughout my life the femininity within me was persecuted by the men Mm -hmm. because toxic masculinity all that beautiful stuff oh yeah we know all Um, about it champions certain male characteristics under the guise of masculinity Mm -hmm. and um alpha maleness and macho-ness or whatever and mine uh, mine was already threatened by that because of my sexuality yeah. identifying as gay uh for the majority of my teenage years um that was already threatening my masculinity because i already said this isn't i don't want to pursue relationships uh at the time with i didn't want to pursue relationships with other women mm-hmm. um i wanted to uh that was a threatening my masculine that was threatening the traditional notion of masculinity anyway um, yeah so what was threatening your uh, masculinity was that you didn't want to date women. Yeah. But you were friends with a lot of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which, and on top of that, I, you know, as much as I tried to, you know, present masculine and wear masculine clothing, there was always, you know, part of me that peeked through. Like, my yeah. style was very eclectic growing up and mm-hmm. um, will still be eclectic to the day I die. I very Love weird. that. Thank you. I do try, um, what's the word, triumph? Um, accredit myself that's credit myself <laughs> with very weird style I like the weirdest weirdest stuff yeah um I think looking back that as I've taken these notions of what is the male outfit the suit yeah. the trouser the tie the whatever and I'll be like okay well I'll do that but I'll do that you know just feminine enough that you know I'm still coded as male for like mm-hmm. somewhat reward of like being cis yeah. but I'm also like you know there's part of me maybe that's just sort of shouting out because I look at photos of me Mm-hmm. from when I was younger and it's I'm there like I am there I don't uh, there's a lot of trans people who you know have a lot of dysphoria looking back at posts of themselves and I am a person who experiences that feeling as well yeah but um I it's comforting almost to see myself um yeah I, I see my I think it's comforting almost to see myself like almost there or like coming every ever so closer to this language and where yeah. I am today um but again coming back to that notion of shared experiences I just want to lay out so, so so I just brought up my sister yeah uh, 
she now uh, <laughs> i'm a mess, a mess today. today you just Betty. heard my snapchat as well oh my god i'm yeah. so professional i put my phone on airplane mode for you <laughs> oh my god. no it's um, fine this is a totally casual podcast yeah. but yes you were saying about your sister yeah so no she she's socially transitioned now so she uh and she has uh, what we would call in tra- uh, in trans circles passing privilege so yes. she is identified with but the shops where she goes everything because um her gender identity her own gender identity now so she's used she her she uses she her and they them pronouns as well but she's when she's at the shops and stuff people gender her correctly but also that has brought along for her is <laughs> one second i'll just yeah. explain that to um because i understand all yeah, of yeah. the references so basically when astrid your sister yeah, yeah. goes to shop she's in public she passes which yeah, yeah. means that um people don't misgender her. They don't think yeah. that she is that, a yeah, boy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. But no, what also that has brought is catcalling for the first time in her entire life. Yes. And being sexually harassed on the tube. Yes. And all these, you know, horrible experiences that comes with being a woman in this society. Yeah. Um, among unchecked masculine privilege. I mean, I think on that point, what, um, as... A woman who yeah. has also... I've experienced all of that, all the catcalling, yeah. everything, um, even sexual harassment and mm-hmm. borderline assault. I yeah. mean, if boys are listening, then ask your female friends, pretty much everyone's had some of it. And I think that is, that exactly is part of the frustration of some women when um, they see people transitioning. I don't think the main issue is with this person who wants to identify in a different way and and wants to use different pronouns. I don't think that's the main problem. I think there's this whole um, backlog and history of, of female oppression that it kind of... Um, I don't want to speak on behalf of it, all women, of, of course, but it kind of... You feel a little bit like men have access to every part of your body and every part of your existence and the patriarchy affects every part. That the one thing you have is your the fact that you're female and that bands people together no matter their race or their physical ability or whatever, that bands people together. And I think some feminists, such as possibly J.K. Rowling, I do not want to uh, speak for the woman, but... I think there there is part of women who think you can't have that as well. Mm-hmm. But that is beside the point mm-hmm. because that is making gender something that people... It's, it's still accepting it as a fixed thing, mm-hmm. which it's clearly not because men specifically, I don't think they're able to explore their gender as much as women are. Like, we're, we're allowed to wear trousers or skirts we're allowed to be sporty or not we're allowed to wear pink or i don't know black and all of these things are stereotypes and it sounds trivial Mm -hmm. but boys don't have the same access to that as children they're not allowed to go to school in a skirt or a dress without like you were saying being criticized and actually being um harassed Mm -hmm. for and punished so I think when it comes down to it, this this fight that these radical feminists are having with the trans community, it to me doesn't feel worthwhile. Like you were saying, mm-hmm. the experiences are different, yes, 
but there are shared experiences and you kind of fight you're fighting against the same thing yeah so there's no, there's no real point and uh, i mean the one thing i wanted to ask you really is um as you've gotten older <laughs> has your confidence in your gender expression changed and having these conversations with people has it become easier um i don't know i feel like i'm in a very early stage of my social transition so i yeah. have been trying to feel confident wearing stuff i'm also a drag artist i do like was a... definitely going to mention your <laughs> stunning drag so, like that was definitely a gateway yeah drug of sorts for me to like my art and my i so i do illustration i do design i do i just i try have i have done every avenue possible to access and channel my femininity into not only is that like um and and in drag as well my drag is very high femme mm -hmm. high camp this these women who have inspired me through history and mm -hmm. through um which yeah i've said that's on my degree yeah. um and in film and all of this stuff it, it's an access point for me to channel all that femininity that i was told i couldn't when i was younger and that yeah. has also been a gateway for me to sorry you ask confidence well i know i guess this makes sense no like, yeah, because drag really opened up to me um, at, was it drag is gender expression to the yeah. max? It's you know, um, playing with these ideas of nothingness in gender and femininity and hyperfemininity and hypermasculinity, yeah, and like putting yourself in in costume mm -hmm. and um, makeup or whatever your drag consists of, and it's literally just performing gender and. Uh, that was definitely an access point for me and yeah. definitely made me more confident but and uh, these, how, how old were you when you i got into started drag? playing with drag makeup when i was 18 or 19. okay um how old am i now 21. yeah maybe so. 17 18 i don't know i was at art school yeah i did a um i did a foundation year and i did the whole thing on social hierarchies mm -hmm. and the, this idea of like the bee colony i don't know i'm going on to a bi um, yeah another monologue but like um no, in terms of confidence, I just, I, I'm struggling because I'm very much like early on in where, what I'm pursuing. Mm -hmm. uh, and I am on the, the, we could talk about how the facilities for trans people in this country are absolutely abysmal. Mm -hmm. I've been on the waiting list with the NHS for half a year now to see someone. Right. Uh, and, and is uh, that and just then, to talk to them? Uh, yes. And that's before I, I would have to have a meeting with somebody before I would then go on to another specific meeting to be wow. diagnosed with gender dysphoria. The medicalized system of, of transness in this country is, you know, I mean, we can say what it is. It's harming, pe it's harming people, it's harming children. Mm -hmm. It's not um, at all capable. What we've got right now is not at all capable of, uh, of facilitating the actual demand in this country for gender care services. But yeah, that's just. I don't know. I I can't really enter the debate about what the solution I mean, is. But I, I, like, um, I think apart that that... from just more access and more um, staffing and funding, but yeah, I don't know what that looks like because my experience is only what we've got right now, and I'm expected to wait another maybe year and a half until I get that first appointment. So, yeah, well, um, these things are so they're so important for people to know, and mm -hmm. I think um, obviously it's nowhere near the same thing, but as a physically disabled person i'm very well aware of the um medical world obviously yeah. in one specific route but when i'll speak to my friends about how long my shoes are taken to get to me or how long 
an appointments taking or the fact that I now have to pay for certain types of my treatment, certain forms of my treatment, people don't know these things mm -hmm. and they're shocking to them for the fact that they don't know them because people think that if you're not directly involved, if you don't know someone who is transitioning, for example, then it's not it's mm -hmm. it's not relevant to you. It's not something you need to know about. Mm -hmm. But it, it doesn't matter whether you know someone who is transitioning or not because someone is yeah. somewhere. And the fact that, I mean, you're not even looking for an appointment for hormones. That's just an appointment to talk to someone. Yeah. And I mean, that is... That is that is really. I mean, I'm not surprised, unfortunately. Yeah. But it's I think it's just shocking to hear the time. Like it's it's like you know it's bad. Yeah. Because you know, you don't have we don't have many representation like representations of trans people in the media at all. But when we are on media, it's often, you know, you can fit it into those tropes of us suffering on screen. Yeah. Our bodies being portrayed in history. And, you know, what shows have we got right now? We've got Pose and Euphoria. I could think off the top of my head that have captured yeah. some sort of mainstream success. Uh, and in Pose, we have uh, an incredibly diverse cast of trans um, POC performers in the ball scene in 90s um, Harlem, mm -hmm. I think, in New York. Yeah, uh, and it's... It um, it's an incredible show. It but is. It's also, Everyone should watch it. Yeah, but it's also, you are watching these people suffer in a time. They're, they're being kicked out of their homes. They're being... So we don't have this idea of... I don't think there is a popular idea of the happy trans person, really, which is upsetting, mm. because although we do need to call attention to how we are... Because I think, actually, it's pretty... Rep Maybe I'm being... That are of... I don't know what... It, <laughs> I think you're having debate. an uh, internal yeah, debate. I know, I, I am. Because, like, if you look at... I, I watch interviews with Michaela Cole, uh, mm. and when she's talking about I May Destroy You, and mm -hmm. she's like, the importance of having uh, black flawed characters on screen is incredible. Like, having um, even Octavia Spencer in that film, Ma, the only reason she did that film is because she was, like... She was asked, the guy who does Blumhouse Pictures or something... She's friends with a guy who, or the director or something, he asked her, approached her about being in a horror film. She was like, her response was, oh, am I going to die first? Yeah. Just expectations of how black bodies have been stereotyped in film and, and given space yeah. to, um, and screen time. And she was the lead. She was the villain. Yeah. And her character was terribly flawed. Uh, but she, we don't have representations like this. So it's like, you want a variety, you, you want a plethora of all representations. You yeah. want happy and sad and evil and good. And yeah. you, you want, but maybe, I don't know. I, I mean, it's, it's complicated as well because I mean, obviously I'm disabled and there's mm -hmm. a lot of that in the media and um, the disabled people are often, if they're there, for one thing, they're mostly not there. But if they're in, if they're in a room, they're in a wheelchair, and they're really physically deformed, or it's someone who has gained a disability, <laughs> like, and that's then um, depicted as really, really tragic because they were fine before and they were thriving, and now they're paralyzed and mm. life shit. And these portrayals are not ones that shouldn't be there yeah. like you were saying that we should see people who are in wheelchairs and people who have been paralyzed in life but part of you is like can someone just not kind of just be that one thing peripherally yeah like does it have to be their whole identity on mm -hmm. screen does it have to be trans woman one 
Yeah. Or does it have to be disabled person too? Yeah. Can they not have a name, an identity, a, a story that a doesn't yeah. revolve around that? Mm-hmm. I, do, I think, well, the solution to those problems of representation is just getting us into those spaces to recommend. Like mm. it's, and it's, I don't, beyond that, I mean, it's very easy to get pessimistic about how, how far away we are from those spaces and, and actually informing what we see in the media. But yeah, I um, I don't even know whether that I'll end up in, uh, whether I could even, whether I'm even optimistic enough that I can manifest myself into those places because, you know, I know there's this, ugh, privileges etc accessing spaces and just being having my own identity having being a trans person I just there's already a defeatist attitude as to what we've got right now doesn't make me feel confident about walking into a room and trying to act uh, um make change um which is why I think I'm probably so unconfident and was quite hesitant to talk about my gender identity at all because it's like when you when you have a socially uh, a social minority identity attached to you mm-hmm. it's only going to serve to make you more aware more more conscious yeah more uh, less confident yeah um in spaces because you are keenly aware of so much more that yeah. this society can do yeah and can make you feel without even um yeah pretty depressing sorry, <laughs> but, um... i mean i think i i completely understand what you're saying and um completely and we've spoken about it before mm-hmm. that there's this um, this thing that you gain when you get older and you realise, right, okay, part of my identity is this social minority. Mm-hmm. I am disabled or, like you said, you are mm-hmm. trans-feminine. And um, you begin to realise that you are automatically put into that box and that every room you walk into, someone is going to want to bring it up. Not necessarily in a negative way, but even the positive times when they're like, oh, that's amazing that you work here or that's amazing that you do this thing or you're so uh, comfortable talking about it. It's kind of, it kind of hurts every time because you think, can I not just exist? Do I have to talk about it? No, I actually wanted to bring this up to you because I think this is something you can really sympathise with Mm. is this idea of like, where do we stand with educating people? And I think we've talked about this before maybe, but like, it really trouble like I'm willing to to educate people I'm not it's not something that I'm upset about having to I well maybe I am a bit upset about having to do it but I'm not unwilling to do it yeah and I see how beneficial it can be in platforms like these Mm -hmm. uh whoever listens to this um and gets up to this point is you know doing a good job you're (laughs) You're being a good ally thanks for listening to us (laughs) um and our issues but uh (laughs) I definitely think there is this idea of walking into a room and being seen and mm-hmm. being othered. Um, there's also your weight. You are expected to explain yourself and yeah. justify yourself and and give your, you know, opening uh, monologue. Gambit, yeah. Like, of literally just like, this is me. This is everything you've got to do with me. Or like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's you, just like you a, accommodate th- other people by yeah. explaining yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, it's very, it, that is part of the othering experience. Knowing that you when you meet new people or whatever, you've got to, you know, justify yourself and explain yourself. Um, when other people can walk into a room and just have no, like they just get to be, that's the, that's the worst thing is knowing that everyone gets to walk into uh, cis people 
get to walk into a room and they are so at one with their gender identity that it is a non-thought it is a non-issue yeah and um yeah one thing i did actually want to ask um in it kind of does follow what we were saying is when you came to university and you met all these new people Mm -hmm. um how how was the experience for you was it positive negative so like when i came to uni i came to uni like a year and over a year and a half now since we arrived in durham yeah um i i took a year out i went to art school for a year which was a very creative space there are loads of you know, weirdos and lovely goths and everybody was just being themselves and wearing the weirdest, coolest clothing. And, you know, in that space, I didn't feel so othered because I was just like, yeah. I was getting to do, I, I did, I studied fashion. I was getting to create and I was getting really good feedback. And, you know, uh-huh. one day maybe I'd like to go back to do that. But I knew that this was where I was going. I was going to Durham for, and I knew for a year prior. Mm-hmm. Um, So... I was so excited when I came. Yeah. I was identifying, I think I was, that was those, was the last few months of identifying a cis and this university life has been the catalyst for me realising how wrong those he, him pronouns and the gender identity that I was assigned at birth has actually been for me and how, yeah. because what it gave was, was such, like I was so palatable, I was being so palatable. I had mm-hmm. really oriented myself in a way that I knew that I was going to be Like, even the, um, I live in a house of all straight cis people. And Mm -hmm. I live in a house of, um, there's 12 of us. I'm the 12th. And, uh, part of the worst thing about this year, especially with COVID and the lockdown, has been not having people to speak about my queer experience with. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's not really a fault. I can't expect them to learn, but I've also, I I can't, well, I can't expect them to understand my experience wholly, like we've said. Um, Yeah. But I also can't be expected to educate them or make them aware in every situation. I don't know. So coming to uni and meeting all these new people, I, I thank time. I have to thank my situation now because I would not be where I am without it. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing how uncomfortable it can be being in having no one of a shared experience with you for so long. Because this was my like this was for the first term. I wanted to drop out by the end of the first term. Yeah. I and I think I've talked to you about this. Like I I've yeah. not really enjoyed my time here. And Durham, I don't know whether you've done a podcast on this already. No, Durham's stifling environment and our, you know, our lovely um classism and I th- by I... the way, that is a joke. I do not en- <laughs> I do not endorse classism. But no, I, I'm you know, being state school educated and trans and queer and it's just, you know, you I didn't, I think I was so naive about how much I'd suffer with people around me without like-minded, with not even having access to just one or two people yeah. who were somewhat like me and could com- we could complain together. I didn't even yeah. have that. I could just complain to people at home who knew nothing about it. So I mean, it's it's even um, being around people who who look a little bit like you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've, we've definitely spoken about this before where in my first term and my whole first year at Durham University, I was making friends, I was getting along with everyone and everything, but all of a sudden I was so much more insecure about my disability than I'd ever been in my entire life. And that was because I was not seeing anyone disabled anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I'd never I'd never recognised before just how important it is to, to see a different type of person. You don't need to be friends with them, you don't need to talk to them, but to just see them. Yeah. And I'd gone to a secondary school which was partnered with a um, special 
needs school. Mm -hmm. So I saw disabled kids every day and so did all my friends from school. But yeah, when I came here, there was there was none of that. And there is so much to be said for um, finding people who are like-minded towards mm -hmm. you. And I wonder um, when you, because um, I'm very much like this, when I find someone, I'm like, no, stay. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's be, let's be really good friends. And it, but not in a psychotic way. Like, I Definitely a psychotic way. <laughs> I was going to say that um, we've spoken about this so many times. And I wonder um, if you were going to talk about um gender expression to people mm -hmm. and if you were going to ask them to do something just one thing what would you want people to do to make your life easier and more comfortable oh hmm i just think um i don't know i think it's just you know if you have trans people in your life sounds cheesy as all hell but make sure that they're loved and like make sure that they know that their experience is so valid. You know, Betty invited me to have this chat today. Betty and I, have, we've been friends for like a, well, since we came to uni, I was one of the, when we were doing the seminars together, so first year, yeah. in that first term, that's when we met each other. But really, like, you've invited me to have this conversation today and that's active. Like, it's just being active, I yeah. think. Because, um, you know, I don't expect everyone on this planet to understand everything about transness. Uh -huh. I would absolutely love it if they did. It would be great. But, yeah. you know, you can't ask, you can't, I can't ask people of that. All I can ask is that people, if they have the time and if they care about trans people in their lives and if they, like, have, see trans people on TV and, you know, they just had need to be active. Mm -hmm. um, and if we're going back to the buzzwords of gender expression, like, I really just think it's not taking stuff for granted. Yeah. Um, there are trans people who live in stealth who, you know, have passing privilege and won't tell people about their identity. And I've come to my identity quite late. I don't know whether by the time that I'm 30, I'm going to feel the need to, you know, tell everyone walking, walking down the street that I am. Because, you know, being trans is a tough old slog. You've really got to, like, you know, take a lot of comments and looks on the chin when you're in. Yeah. You know, I get it all the time and I'm in town now uh, in this weird midpoint of me wearing some winged eyeliner and stunning uh, winged eyeliner you. and um growing my hair out and you know it's just um yeah if i could ask ask one thing it would just be to be an active ally yeah and to do education on your own on your own time and don't mm. burden the, i mean that's just with everybody yeah <laughs> no i think that's a perfect answer if i could uh Thank if you. I could want one oh, of a flattery. <laughs> what can I say? I just really want you to come back. <laughs> um, no, I, th I think that is a really good point to make about anything, any social minority that... Completely. I mean, I've said before with disability, any question's a good question because the question I just asked you, someone asked me um, for a prior podcast I did where I let people ask me questions about disability and... I was like you when I was asked the question, I thought, oh my God, well, <laughs> what do you mean? But it is just wanting to learn mm -hmm. and doing it actively. And no matter how uncomfortable asking the question might make you, just ask it. Yeah. Because, I mean, what can you lose from asking a question that you don't know the answer to? Mm. Like, even if you disagree with the answer, at least you've heard it. 
Mm-hmm. So I, yes. I do feel like, just to add on to that, ask questions, but like with sensitivity. I know I find a lot of, I had no, like asking questions and mm. then play like this naivety of like, mm. I, you know, I, I think like what you want people to do is be active on their own time. So yeah. they come to you with questions that, you know, that they almost know won't upset you. Yes. Um, And, you know, come to, you know, I would come to Betty for questions about disability as a last resort because I would not want, I would want to, well, I know our friendship is more than that, mm-hmm. but I also wouldn't want to trivialise your experience as you as my sole, a sole source of all yeah. things, you know, yeah. I would, I will always appreciate your input yeah. and, and your, your own experience as in, I'm glad you appreciate my experience as mm-hmm. inviting me today has affirmed me. Um, but uh, I think the, the activeness has to be in our own time when we're just when we're alone using our resources that we have available to us yeah and trying to become better people yeah well (laughs) treat treat people like people don't treat them like a minority or like a label Mm -hmm. so when you ask questions do it i i always say ask a question in the way you would want to be asked completely question Don't be rude. <laughs> I'll, I'll drink my wine to that. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers to that. Well, thank you once again, Harry, for coming on. And No, I've had such a lovely time. Thank you for having me. I'm glad. And we definitely have to do another one because... Oh, there's so much to talk so about. So much we can talk I've about. i barely unpacked any of my trauma. <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> this need to listen to me. <laughs> yeah, well, no, actually, if you want therapy, just come to Betty for the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, so this is basically what I'm setting out to do. I'm about to, I'm about to PayPal Bessie five hundred pounds. <laughs> yeah, I'm not cheap. No, <laughs> so worth it though. Advertise your services. Thank you, thank mm-hmm. you. You are stunning. Love oh. and appreciate you, and love and appreciate your earrings. Can you hear them? They're dangling. <laughs> you can only imagine. They're real diamonds. No, they're oh my god! <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much for having me, Bessie.